Good evening, everybody. We are here with our final Q&A for the month of April. And we just thank God for all the opportunities He gives us to magnify Him, to glorify Him through any media and any format other than even the pulpit. So, tomorrow the month will be over and then we enter into May. But this evening we have lots of questions. Interestingly, we have questions from so many from the islands, from the Middle East, from Egypt, from, I think from Bhutan. Interesting. But we'll try to see within the time constraints how many questions we can handle. But we just thank God. Father, this evening, we just want to thank you, Father, for this opportunity you give us. We are your children. We are your servants. All the answers we have, one day will be answered completely in you when we see you face to face. Right now we see in part, we understand in part. But Lord, I want to commit everyone who asks these questions and also everyone who is listening now into thy hands. I pray, Father, that you would anoint us and anoint them. That together, as we search your scriptures for the answers, your spirit would anoint us and speak through us and speak to all who hear, O God. Because he is the spirit of truth, the only truth that can set us free. So we commit everyone and plead the blood of Jesus over every person, every home, every family, every household. Protect us during these days of occult and darkness. Mm. The destroyer will pass over all of our homes because we are under the blood, the Amen. blood of the Lamb of God. Thank you, thank, thank you, Father. Lord. Thank, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Yes. So let's look, uh, we'll start from question number five. Uh, we left it off last time. Uh, it says, when you forgive someone who has hurt you, would we need to go to God, make a list of the names of the people we need to forgive? Do you think that God already knows it all? Why should we repeat it? <coughs> the, the, God knows everything anyway, but the reason is, um actually the simplest way to do it is see um God has if you are saved, this is only for believers, okay. Even others, if you forgive, it's good for your mental health. <laughs> you don't have to end up in an asylum. Okay, but for believers, God has given his spirit to us. And he is the person who leads us to liberty. Liberty. One of the most dangerous things that takes the liberty of God's people is unforgiveness. That's why Jesus repeated that in the Lord's Prayer and warned after it too. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive them those who trespass against us. And he says, if you do not forgive your Father in heaven and most of honestly human problems are not Political, it are not socio-economic; it is spiritual, and the biggest issue mankind has is with forgiveness. The biggest. God sent His Son so that He could forgive man. Okay, the Garden of Eden they had to be chucked out because they never asked for forgiveness. 
Cain had to be put a mark on him and he went away from the presence of God because he refused to ask for forgiveness. So you see, unforgiveness is the biggest enemy of mankind. So we don't take this question lightly. God knows. Yes, God knows. But remember, there is a spirit of God is given to us. He is our personal guide. Though we may say with our lips, we may not have forgiven from our heart. And the person who knows it is the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to make a list like said, but if he shows you, and if you, tell, you have to go to him and ask Spirit of God, would you show me? Yes, I have opened my mouth and said I have forgiven, but I haven't really forgiven. Mm. Help me, Lord. And God will show you. And it is important for our liberty, our freedom. Like somebody said, unforgiveness is the poison you drink to kill somebody else. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it takes you to the grave. You die early. You may die miserable. No, unforgiveness is the biggest issue mankind is facing. Okay, so this is not a. It's not a to be taken lightly. Taken lightly, and the thing is that, uh, see, the most powerful force that is operating in mankind right now, or for mankind right now, is the love of God. It's the love of God. God so loved the world, and that's on which the entire gospel is centered, the love of God. The Bible says, love does not keep a record of wrongs, of sins. Mm. Unforgiveness keeps a record of sins. Mm. And the problem is, an unforgiving person is not able to love. And you cut away from the very life of God. Because God is love. God's manifestation to mankind is not God is holy, God is righteous. That's all true. But that is after we experience him as God is love. Then only we can understand his righteousness and his holiness and all. So, unforgiving person. And that's that's a problem in homes and offices and in church. Everywhere that is, like I we looked at last Sunday, Koinonia does not work. The heart of life is koinonia. It mm. is fellowship. You need to realize when Adam and Eve sinned, fellowship broke. They didn't run towards God. They had done. They would have received forgiveness. They ran away from God. And if you look at that, after that, mankind is going further away. and further and further. By that come to 10th generation, he has to destroy everybody and only eight survive. And if you look at the cause of, if you look at it, we'll talk about the evil and every thought. But that is, that is the end, the result. But if you look at it, what is actually happening, what caused all of this is primarily, is unforgiveness. Mm. God is willing to forgive. That's why he comes. He's willing to forgive. He offers a sacrifice. But man is not willing to ask for forgiveness or forgive his brother. Look at Cain's flippant response when God asked him the question, where is your brother? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Okay, so we go to the Spirit of God. He will tell you. See, this, this, they work together. Unforgiveness and offense. They go together. Don't cover up. See, the problem is the people in the world leave them alone. We are very, we have become very biblical in our head. The problem is like our own churches because we hear so many messages and 
long messages. We have learned Christianese vocabulary. That we can just shoot it from our head with it never touching our heart. And because we are shooting it from our head and hearing with our ears, we think we are okay with God when we are not okay with God. Because <laughs> okay with God, the first thing he looks is at our heart. And at the heart, you don't need uh, so many words. You just need three words like David when it comes from the heart. I have sinned. That's only three words. But it's coming from his heart. It's not coming from his head. All the others are looking at the ramifications and the situations and things telling from their head, I have sinned. God didn't listen to them. But when this man, it comes from his heart, I have sinned. God says, your sin is removed from you. Sin is removed from you. you know? So we have to be careful about these things because unforgiveness kills. It kills slowly. It kills <laughs> fast. Okay, I mean, with all the wisdom and the counsel, everything that Ahitophel had, why did he go and kill himself at the end? What what took him to his grave and probably to hell? Why did he hang himself? It's because one thing, he refused to forgive David. He refused to forgive David. You know? And that's how it comes. And uh, when you forgive someone who has hurt you, would you we need to go to God and make a list of the names of the people we need to forgive? You need to go to God and ask, Lord, help me to forgive this person from my heart. And Lord, the best way to get over it, where it doesn't hurt you anymore, where it doesn't come into your remembrance, is to do what God has said. You have to practice it, where you constantly choose to bless them and not to curse them. Hallelujah. Because you cannot do both at the same time. He says, pray for them. Bless them, don't. So if you choose, if, if you have a list of enemies who hurt you, not enemies, people who have, don't think about them as an enemy, people who hurt you, and you choose to forgive them, don't stop there. Go to the, the so forgiving the ones who hurt you is the law. Go into grace, bless them. Bless them. And suddenly you will realize that it is gone, the hurt is not over there, and actually what comes in, that compassion comes in. Compassion comes in. You feel sorry for them. You feel sorry for them. Okay, that that hurt and the anger and all is replaced with something else because everything has to be replaced. You cannot leave it empty. Remember when you leave a house clean? What is clean? I have forgiven. But it is empty. It has not been replaced with something else. What has to be replaced with? It has to be replaced with compassion. If it is not replaced with compassion, that same unforgiving spirit will come back. That fellow will come back and he will bring another seven others. And before you know, you are even more mad at the other person than before. And you will understand what happened. I tried, I forgive, but I am so angry now. The reason is you left it empty. You left it empty. So that's why David is able to look at those who have hurt him, like King Saul, because he's always forgiving. And he has compassion and he grieves over Saul and Jonathan when they die. And the others, they don't react that way. Everyone is looking, okay, this is his enemy. I'll get a profit if I go and tell him. He's, it doesn't work like that with David because he's a very forgiving man. So when God deals with David over Uriah's situation, is because of who David is. You're such a forgiving, compassionate person. How did you become like this? So to protect you, 
that you would never go that way again, I will put a wall around you. That is, the sword will not depart from you. You should, you should ask this question, why should the sword be on David's family's life? It is to protect David. That kept him humble, that kept him forgiving. And you will see, he will forgive everybody, Shammai and all. Which king will ever forgive a scoundrel like Shammai? So leave him alone. Leave him alone. You know, what made David a person like that? It's because he has learned to forgive from the heart. Okay, forgive from the heart. And that's what we have to learn, not from our head. From head, because the problem with us Christians is that our head and our lips agree and we think our heart has gone with it. <laughs> no, heart doesn't go with it. The heart has to go with it. First, the heart has to come. Even faith, it is not from the head. You believe in your heart. So a lot of people believe in their head and confess with their mouths and they are not saved. They are not saved. But because they know the words, they think they are saved. It is like India, very clear, Indian exam system. People mug the answers, they memorize the answers, they go write the exam, they get a distinction, and then they think they know the subject, but they don't know the subject. Once the exams is over, they move to the next class, they have forgotten everything, and they have no clue what the subject was. Mm. Because they are very good at mugging. <laughs> it never touched their heart. They never understood the concepts. In the same way these things can happen in the church. We have a lot of knowledge in our head. But this is life. It hasn't touched our heart. So Spirit of God is there. Whoever is who wrote this question, go to God always and say, Lord, you know my heart better than I do. That's what David's prayer is like. He says, search my heart. Search my heart, O Lord. Are there some hidden presumptuous sins which I don't even know about? No, but see, a lot of things, it's like, it's like diseases, no? A lot of things can be hidden. And then one day it manifests, where did this come from? The thing was that fellow was always there inside, at the right conditions it manifested. It was like Ahitophel. Years together he walked with David, it never showed up. I mean, nobody ever doubted. But when Absalom took the throne, immediately he flipped. So the right condition, it manifested. That is why we have to ask God, Lord, show me, show me, Lord, show me, show me, show me, show me, show me, you know. Like we now, today, we may be, we may be at, uh, like, uh, like, you know, we, we may be in a position where we have no power, no influence, nothing. Therefore, we may think we are forgiving. Two, three years down the line, we have money, we have power, we have influence, and suddenly we see another person emerging, a vindictive person emerging, and we realize, we don't realize, where did this person come out from now? Because earlier you thought you were forgiving because you did not have the power. It was false humility. But now that you have, that's what happened when Absalom took over the throne, another thing emerged out of Ahitophel. And he's going and giving him counsel how to destroy his father who was his king, with whom he walked all these years. That is why we are talking about, we have to very, very, don't, that the only one who really knows us is not us. It is the Spirit of God. He who searches the heart of the Father and who searches our heart. So go to him and say, Lord, I feel I have forgiven, but I have really forgiven. Have I really forgiven? If conditions were to change and situations were to change tomorrow, would I show the same forgiveness? Because if I saw forgiveness, 
it has to be the same with everyone. I cannot just forgive the ones I like and not forgive the ones I dislike. Then that is not forgiveness. That is not forgiveness. That is just personal preferences. That has got nothing to do with forgiveness. Because then there is no righteousness in that forgiveness. That's why we need to go to God and ask God, show me, Lord, show me, show me, Lord, show me, Lord, show my heart, Father. Because you know what? You are saved. But when we stand before God, like I said, we are not judged by what you believe. Mm. You enter into the kingdom by what you believe. You are judged by your words and you are judged by your works. These two things matter. And our words have to come from our heart. That what I say, I really mean it. I really mean it. And to really mean it, it has to be true. The truth does not change. So I would say, go to God always. Go to God. Don't assume these things. Certain things in life are like we used to say in to students. Like you know, I used to tell my students, you no, know, you have optional subjects and you have compulsory subjects. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot have the luxury to fail in the compulsory subjects because you will be detained. <coughs> No, so there are certain uh, which are very important. In the same way, there are compulsory subjects in the kingdom of God. And one of them is, most important is, forgive. If you have any doubts, the disciples went to Jesus and told him, Lord, teach us to pray. Let's have the Lord's prayer up on that. Very familiar, so we forget it. Matthew chapter 6. Yeah. Matthew 6. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then he comes back to one issue alone in that entire prayer. It's not about his name. It's not about his will. It is not about his kingdom. It is about forgiveness. Because if you do not forgive, none of those other things will happen in your life. You will not hallow his name. His will will not come to pass. And when his kingdom comes, it will be terror and not joy. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. There's another place I'll show you. It's, it's in Mark. Mark 11, 24. Yeah. Gospel according to Mark. When you stand up for prayer. For yeah. Game. Mark 11, 24, 25. Got yes. it? Yeah. Yes. And when go to 24 first. Go to 24 first. Now that's everybody quotes 24 because everybody wants answered prayer and all the whole doctrine is made out of 1124. Okay. And they'll ignore 25. <laughs> Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And then he says, when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, that includes, that's, that's complete total. Anything against anyone. against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Mm. Okay. And most issues in life is got to do with that. 
husbands don't hold unforgiveness with their wives <laughs> wives hold it against husbands children against parents parents against children and this whole whole mess in the world actually is got to do with unforgiveness if everybody wakes up tomorrow morning and actually starts says i choose to forgive everybody you know in one day the whole world will change wars will cease famine will be over everything will change you look and read acts chapter that what happened in that first church how is that nobody lacks anything everybody has enough they are enjoying fellowship time with god god is doing exceedingly great things among them if you ask them what's how they're all walking in koinonia there is no unforgiveness there are all and minute a little resentment comes into the church the apostles immediately intervene and there was a dispute about feeding the widows because the jewish widows were getting more than the grecian widows a complaint arose now that can bring offense and offense can bring unforgiveness the church will be messed up immediately picked up seven people full of wisdom and the holy spirit to handle a small situation because a wildfire starts with a spark if that is not held why, why is such a huge thing why did they immediately if you look at it how the apostolic immediately handles the situation it is not about the food it is about offense you go there and look what is the dispute about because there's a racial divide coming into a church that has been made one no acts chapter 6 yeah is there and verse 1 yeah in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying there arose a complaint against the hebrews by the hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution then the 12 summoned the multitude of disciples and said it is not easy we cannot have we don't have time to handle but this has to be handled immediately why otherwise it will lead to offense offense and misunderstanding and forgiveness and before you know church is there koinonia has gone life is gone split start yeah church. the split will start in the church mm-hmm. okay and these are things which you have to be very very careful as an individual as a family as a church be careful about offense go back to luke chapter 18 it's an important question okay so let's take a little time on it then he spoke a parable to them that men always are uh, not 18 uh, 17 17 years 17 how, how many times should i forgive yeah 17 okay 17 go to verse 1 on verse 17 17 1 yeah. then he said to the disciples it is impossible that no offenses should come this is offenses will come it's impossible because only in heaven we will end up having offenses but woe to him through whom they do come it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones and he says the worst thing is to offend this little people do not realize oh, people do not i'm telling i've seen this happen over and over again in the church our own churches our own church and other churches too father or a mother gets offended with something in the church before you know they drag their children and go away <laughs> the problem is they don't realize where they are dragging their children away from where they are dragging their children children has no clue at all children are very happy and 
one day they wake up and they realize koinonia is over everything is over and they have taken them and replaced them into another place simply because you are offended by something that was said children bear the brunt of it all and you know because adults get offended and they drag the children along with it and that's why it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around this see it's a pregnant hagar who is running mm. she's got a child in her womb mm. the angel of the lord that jesus stops her and says where are you coming coming from where are you going it's not about her he's asking actually it is about her seed because yeah. that's a seed of abraham he's got a future it's going to be a mighty nation okay where are you running from where are you going okay where are you going no and that's where it sits better for him okay that he should offend one of these little ones go further take heed to yourself and then jesus says if your brother sins against you this is in a very intimate kind of a relationship it's a brother not somebody else don't go rebuke him and all don't do that you need to have that kind of freedom and liberty to be able to rebuke a brother if you don't have a relationship don't rebuke them leave them alone because your your rights and your authority the ground on which you base is your relationship relationship because if you don't have a relationship they will not take your rebuke but you have a very vibrant very strong relationship which is based on love if you rebuke it they will receive it you see jesus had a very strong relationship with his disciples and he could rebuke his disciples and nobody got offended yes. get behind me said it all this thing peter and why didn't they get re- offended with him why didn't he get offended with him it's simple because it's the level of relationship he had with him so we need to be don't take it and run with it by the literal thing look deeper into it and say is okay and if he repents forgive him okay forgive now please understand don't say oh, so he hasn't repented so i am not forgive him don't run with that that is not what it means because you have to compare scripture with scripture okay your first thing is that you forgive him then you rebuke him in your heart you should always walk in repentance now you are trying to do something else over here you are trying to do something else here you know his behavior is causing us is is create is creating trouble maybe in the home in the church or whatever so you rebuke him and if you repents him if he repents forgive him in that forgiveness there in the forgiveness there is a kind of a restoration that takes place you are able to continue your relationship like before if he repents if he repents if he does not repent so this is the problem the problem is people ask you no know, ask about uh they confuse between uh, the forgiveness in love and the trust in love mm. these are all in love forgiveness is always free you cannot earn forgiveness you have to forgive you have to forgive because god has forgiven you but trust has to be earned mm-hmm. don't confuse between so even when you are waiting and giving it time to earn that trust you still love you still forgive but the other person may misunderstand you don't love me anymore you don't trust me anymore and you have to say them it's not, i love you but the issue is your behavior hasn't changed mm-hmm. because this is something that is constant in homes constant homes it could be a husband and a wife it could be a wife and a husband it would be parents and children the child comes and cries i'm sorry i won't do it again okay forgiven okay go don't do it again next day does the same thing 
you stop loving the child? No. But do you trust the child? No. You don't trust the child. Okay. Now, because you don't trust the child, the child will say, Daddy doesn't love me. It's not true. It is not true. You have to change it. That's what it says. Repentance involves change in behavior. It's not just saying sorry. Repentance involves. So, when they came to John the Baptist and said, he said, show works that agree with, with repentance. repentance. Okay, so what should he do? This always said, don't take taxes more than do. He gives a whole list according to the people. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in the day returns and saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So you shall forgive, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. And then Jesus gives an incredible example over there. He says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, we pulled up by the roots and we planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now we take it and run with it about all kind of things, but it's actually talking about unforgiveness. He says, if you have faith in God, you can take even deep mulberry tree. It's like its roots are spread like that. He can pull out this unforgiveness from the roots. And then what? Not cast it into the Plant sea it. because it will come back again. Plant it mm -hmm. in the sea where it will never rise up again. He says, you can. He says, that's what by faith you can. Okay, faith in God. Why? Because that's the way God has forgiven you. That's the way God has forgiven you. So forgiveness is not a small thing. It is a, it's a, the problem is I'm telling you honestly, you know, the problem is lot of things in daily life in homes and churches and offices. There are the three places we usually function. Lot of things are triggered. Let's use that word, triggered, because of deep-rooted unforgiveness inside. <coughs> the wife will remember something that was said or done years ago, or the husband, or the children, or the parents, or the church members, the shepherd, the sheep, all this thing, you know, something. And it is deep over there, okay? And that is what is triggering a response. It's triggering a response, okay? And until that is taken care of, that is taken care of. Your response is not going to change. Mm. It's not going to change. Because you're responding from that. You're responding from that. And the problem I will tell you, in, in the church kind of a setup, in a church kind of a setup, the worst thing, unforgiveness and offense does it, that they stop hearing the word. They don't hear anymore. They will sit there, but they will not hear anymore. They cannot hear anymore. Hmm. And that is, that is the worst thing that can happen to a man is, you look, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 16. And Cain went out from the presence of God. Why did he go out of the presence of God? Unforgiveness. Because he's still not forgiven. Neither God nor man. He's angry with God and he's angry with his brother. So people who are offended, unforgiving, angry, it doesn't matter. Spiritually, they are going further and further and further and further and further away from God. And if you look at verse 70, what will they do? And he built a city. They get very hyperactive. <laughs> because the activity is to 
calm their conscience. So they look at their works, their activity, and they think it's approval. I am right. He didn't build build a house. He built a city. Build a city. But when the flood came, there is nothing of Cain left. Everything has wiped out. Only that of Seth continues through Noah. There's nothing left. Seth's, Cain's memory is wiped out on the day of judgment. And if you look at it, what has happened? He's offended. He's offended that his brother's sacrifice was accepted by God and his work was not. So offense leads to unforgiveness, to anger. And what happens is, you see, that's why I said, scripture, scripture doesn't lie. The book of Genesis is very important because it tells how this all began, where it all began. And this is the pattern is being over and over again. So I'll always say, don't whitewash these things. Don't whitewash these things. Mm. You cannot whitewash these things. The problem is immediately you move from faith to religion. And God hates religion. Faith is gone. Faith meaning in terms of a living relationship with God is gone. Now we are playing religion. Mm. We will sing songs and we will take notes, but nothing is moving. Spiritually, there is only one movement. You are moving further and further and further and further away from God. And when the right situation arises, what arises in you is the spirit of Cain. Ahitophel becomes a murderer. He's plotting the murder of his king David. What comes out is the spirit of Cain. The murderer comes out. Okay, and that's what we need to realize. These are not simple things. Okay, but remember, even if we did not murder because the right situations did not arise, we'll be judged as a murderer. Angry with your brother without a cause. That's what, that's what Jesus mm-hmm. is talking in the Sermon on the Mount. Now let me go to the Sermon on the Mount. Let me tell you about the Sermon on the Mount. Go to Matthew 7, 23 if I'm right. Sermon on the Mount is uh, 5, 6, 7. Right? 5, 6, 7 and then 8, did he? It's already 723 is here. Mm, one second. One second. Matthew 5 actually. Yeah, 26, 26, 26. Matthew 5, 26, huh? No, no, no. So 727, 26. Okay. Okay. 26, yeah, 26 onwards. Okay. Now, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Okay, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and the beat on that house, it fell, and great was its fall. Okay, and so it was when Jesus had entered these sayings. Now go back to 26. 726. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine. So what is he talking about? Who is the man who built the house? The Sermon on the Mount is the greatest message ever preached on earth. Go from Matthew 5, 2 and to 28. Memorize it. Read it over and over. These are the sayings on which you build your house. You can ignore the rest of scripture. Mm-hmm. Put it all away. You build your house from 5, 2. Blessed is the poor in spirit. He is the kingdom of God down to 28. These, everyone who hears these sayings of mine, Every epistle written to the church is a sum total of these sayings. You can ignore everything else if you do not have the Bible. 
But if you can, by faith of the Spirit of God, keep Matthew 5, 2 to 28. You're good. You're good. Because this is the Spirit of the law. And those who are of faith fulfill the Spirit of the law. And there he says, if you are angry with your brother, mm-hmm. he goes down. He says, you know, if you are angry with your brother, why did you kill him? Because you didn't have power. Why did you kill him? Because the law. Why did you kill him? Because it is a construct in your mind, the mm-hmm. society. But actually, mm-hmm. you know, verse 21 onwards. If you have heard it was said, said to these of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be danger of judgment. That is the law. But I say to you, I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. So if you are angry, be sure you should have, your cause is real. Cain's anger towards his brother was without cause. His brother did not do anything wrong. He did not do any harm to him. It was without cause. Be angry, but without sin. Meaning where there is sin, you should be angry. Evil hasn't sinned. Hasn't sinned. But even when you are angry, don't sin in your anger. It will be danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, which means fool, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember, who brings into your remembrance? It's the Spirit of God. Your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gifts. What is he talking about? He's talking about anger. Anger is the root cause of murder. Why didn't you murder? Because you didn't get the ability. But if you had, you would have killed. Mm. would have killed. Yesterday, there was a this youth festival in an engineering college in Bangalore. And at 9 o'clock, two groups fought and one fellow killed another one. In a youth festival, in an engineering college. What was it? Anger, drunkenness, all these things. So common it has become. You know, so the Bible talks about it. And the thing is that it is offense. Disunforgiveness, anger, murder. And just because murder did not take place, because the right situation did not come, <laughs> you will still be judged as a murderer. Still be judged as a murderer. Okay, because you can murder without a knife, you can murder with words. Murder with words. Okay. Ahitophel is not going to take a sword and kill David. <laughs> He's giving counsel how to destroy him. Okay, that's why that's why the devil does. The devil is a slanderer. And he's a murderer. He's a murderer. Mm-hmm. He's a, how did he did devil ever take a knife and kill a single man? No, he didn't. But he slandered God, and he killed a man. <laughs> he kills man through slander. Okay, he kills man through slander. So we have to be careful about these things. So it is not a small question. It's a very serious question. So, always ask the Spirit of God, am I angry with somebody? Am I holding something against? Do I have a reason? I don't have a reason to hold it. I need to forgive. But Lord, search my heart. Search my heart. <coughs> no, search my heart. No. Don't believe 
I think today's reading, don't believe your own thinking. <laughs> don't believe your own thinking. Because you heard your words and they were very scriptural. You don't believe it. Is it from your heart? Is it from your head? You know? And we are, we have to be very, very careful. Because you're always quoting scripture. <laughs> Two sets of people have to be very careful. One is pastors, the other are the worship team. So they're always quoting scripture in songs. They're always quoting scripture in sermons. <laughs> that doesn't make any difference. It may help somebody else. But the question is, do you believe what you say? Do you <coughs> practice what you say? Hmm? Yes, Pastor Vijay, let's go to another question. Um, because you're talking about the law, right, Pastor? I think you should look at question number two. It says, why did God give the law in the first place when he knew that no one could live it, live by it? And what would have happened if God hadn't given us the law? See, if you look at when you talk about the law, we are not, you, we don't begin with the Mosaic law. We actually go to the first law that was given. I mean, if, if you look at the first rules in Genesis chapter 2, two. it's very simple. First, <coughs> God creates the garden, plants all kind of trees over there, then puts man over there to watch over it, work over it. Is it very difficult? There is. Two, see there's one tree over there, don't eat of it. If you eat, it will, you will die. Is it difficult? No. It is the first law that is broken. Once that law is broken, the fall begins. The fall begins. Okay, fall begins. Now the issue is here, <coughs> the fall begins. God has two choices. His first choice is to destroy man and start all over again. But then that is what you will be doing through eternity. Destroying man, start all over again. Destroying man, start all over again. Because <laughs> the probability for any new creation to fall is still the same. Okay, so God has another solution. And his solution is salvation. Where man will be born again by the spirit of God, will have the nature of God, and ultimately he will never fall again. But till that happens, there is a society. A society cannot function without laws. Like what is happening in Sudan. Why are people dying? Why are people in their millions fleeing? What is happening over there? Because simply spoken, there is a breakdown of law. When there is a breakdown of law, there is a breakdown of order. We use these two terms, law and order. Why is that craziness going on in cities in America? Because there is a breakdown of law, therefore there is a breakdown of, of order. order in the society. If you want order in a society, you need laws. If you want order in your own life, you need laws. The laws when you implement in your own life consistently is what is called discipline. Mm. Okay? You have laws, you have discipline, you have order in your life. And order brings a lot of stuff. Things, life becomes easy. There is more productivity. You become more fruitful. And the thing is that because there are laws and there is order. Okay. That's why I said there are two sets of people we really never appreciate. One is the army. Sure. They protect us from enemies outside. And then there we have the police who protect us from the enemies inside. Now let me tell you this thing. Honestly. Like, you know, we live such easy lives. 
I mean, we don't worry about anything. Our law and order in this city is very good. Our houses don't get robbed. We don't get mugged. Now, we don't go into those areas. You don't have to go into those areas. But most, by and large, by and large, most of the city is safe. Why is it safe? Because there is law, there is law enforcement, and therefore there is order. The only little bit of order really has to come is in traffic. But even if that comes in, the city will be really good city. And the traffic order is not coming only because of politicians. They get involved in it. But if politicians don't get involved and you take all the hawkers from the roads and everything and the roads uh, enforce, the rules are enforced, there will be even order on our roads. So you need to realize you, the law is given because we, need, we, are, we, we are living in a society. Mm. And the first set of laws, you don't see that earlier, but the first set of laws is given in Genesis chapter 8. If I'm right, Genesis 8 or 9, it is given. Okay. That is when after Noah, now a new creation has begun. Okay. Now law and order is coming. Okay. Law and order is coming. And if, okay, if you go, if you go to Genesis chapter 9, not 8, 9, first is the blessings and then law is given. Let's read from it. First, that's how always God. God doesn't give the law first. God blesses us first. Okay? Even in Genesis 1, he blesses man, fivefold blessing. Then he gives him the provision, gives him a purpose, and then sets the law. Bless Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth. Something has changed now. Now there is going to be fear between man and the animals, which was not there earlier. Every bird of the air all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs law is changing. Now man is moving from being a vegetarian alone to carnivorous too. You can eat meat. But then, first law, you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. It says don't eat blood. You want to eat meat? Get rid of so it's a personal we call Muslim personal law, right? Like that's a personal law is given. Jews, Christians, Muslims generally follow Christians. Sometimes don't follow this. They want their steak rare with blood and all. Very careful. Mm. In the old covenant, pre old covenant, post old covenant, post and new covenant, one thing God has said very clearly don't eat blood. Don't drink blood because the life of the creature is in the blood. You eat blood, that creature's spirits will enter into you and you will start acting like animals. Surely, the next law, surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man his blood shall be shed for he now, what is he instituting? He's saying, first punishment he institutes in the new covenant, in the new creation, is capital punishment for murder. Mm-hmm. Then only other crimes come. No, first you go to the top. What is that? If any man kills another man, no, without a cause or what? If he kills another man, he should be executed. So why is he putting this so that this society can function? 
society can function. Okay, and this is where the loss come in. There is a tiger in the forest. The tiger kills a deer. Nobody says anything. Mm-hmm. The tiger comes to the village and attacks and kills a person. Immediately, the government says hires those hunters to kill the tiger. Of course, now all the PETA people will say, let the man die and the tiger live. <laughs> that was not the way. Why is Jim Corbett so famous? What was his job? His job was to kill tigers. So we have a Jim Corbett park. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we need to realize law is being said. So why did God give the law? To protect the society. There is no law. So there will be no, there will be mayhem. What happens whenever there is a breakdown of law and order? There is looting, there is rioting, there is murder. The weak have no protection. The law is primarily is aimed towards the lawless. Yes. It is law. protecting the righteous from the, the, from the wicked. From the that wicked. Is prop, that's the whole idea mm. of the law. Mm. So we don't get it wrong like the law is needed. But the law is not going to save you. When it comes to salvation, it's a different thing. When it comes to eternity, it's a different thing. Law is good for this temporal life. But you kept the law, you cannot enter into eternal life because the standard required for eternal life is the righteousness of God. That the law cannot bring you. So the law has two functions. First function, the society can function. The weak are protected. And in that system that is created because of law, there is order. Each man can function to his best potential. He can prosper. There will be peace in the society. That is one function. When it comes to eternity, the function of the law is to bring us to Christ. Because a law-abiding man, a really law-abiding man, will start actually asking this question. Is the fact is that he realizes a conflict between the law outside and me inside. Me inside. That actually deep inside, I am not really, really able to keep the law. Mm. I keep it because externally it is being. And that's what Jesus said. You have heard, thou shalt not murder. And you are not murdering. But you are walking around always angry. Why are you not murdering? Because in the system there is law and order. Therefore you are not murdering. But you are always. So you realize the law is able to frame your behavior outwardly. But it is not able to deal with your anger. Yep. It's not able to deal. The law is able to frame your behavior outwardly. Thou shall not commit adultery. But it's not dealing with your lust. Mm-hmm. So, the law-abiding man is always conscious about it. So, then what does he do? Like Nicodemus, you come in the dark or in the light, you come to Christ. Mm-hmm. So, in Galatians... 4.1. Four, right? four, yeah. The law was a tutor to bring us to Christ. Yeah. Uh, four, Galatians 4. 1 and 2. Yeah. See, come. Yes, Pastor. No, 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 not not four. It is three, uh, twenty-three and twenty-four. Yeah, three, twenty-three, and the other one is about being a child. Mm -hmm. Before faith came, what is that faith? Faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. It's a living thing. Okay, faith in Christ is a living thing because you need to understand when faith comes, grace comes, the Holy Spirit comes. Okay, wherever there is faith, the Holy Spirit comes. We were kept under God by the law. Mm-hmm. Kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor 
to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. See, justification is inside your heart. Mm-hmm. It's not outwardly. Outwardly, the Samaj, the society will say, he's a very righteous man. He never breaks the law. He bre- never breaks the law. Society. But that does not make anything, any difference in you. Like, uh, 1992, 2023, 31 years I have driven on the roads. I don't have a chalan. I don't have a chalan in 31 years. I don't have a chalan. Does that make me righteous? That doesn't make me righteous. Outwardly, if the police system looks up over there, they will realize my name doesn't come in the system at all. Okay? So, according to the system in which we operate, they look at their whole thing, like you go for the passport and they run a check on you. There's nothing in your name. So, the law says you are righteous. You have a right standing with the law. But can you go to God? God. Because deep inside you know all your struggles. You struggle with anger, you struggle with lust, you struggle with unforgiveness, you struggle, 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 struggle. The law doesn't see any of these things because these are all inside you. The law is interested only in outconform to the outward behavior. But God does not come and look at the outward behavior first. He says God looks at the heart. That is what is happening in Jesse's house. The seven sons are looking kosher, mm. <laughs> clean, dressed, anointed. Samuel looks at them and says, truly the Lord's anointed. God <laughs> says, no, not my anointed. He says, God looks at the heart. When he looks at the heart, he realizes they are not fit. Therefore, what was the purpose of the law? It is to, when we want to, that righteousness that comes by faith and faith alone, the purpose of the law is to bring to Christ. So that's why the law is given. First purpose, society will. See, the the Hammurabi code, the oldest, one of the oldest is the code of Hammurabi. Okay. The law code. The law code. Okay, it's older than the old covenant. The Hammurabi code. Abraham and all while living in Canaan and all are functioning under that code. Because if you don't have a code, how do you function? Mm. You know, the, the kings there, no? If you call the commander and what is the other fellow's name? The okay. king, yeah? Uh, Abimelech. Abimelech and all. And what are the terms on you which call. you make mm. a covenant? There has to be a code by mm. which, you know, a code, no? That's why Jesus is saying you should be such a kind of a person. You don't need a code. Your yes is yes, your no is no. You don't need an enforcement. You don't need a notary or anything, but your yes is yes, your no is no. So there, there was always a code of behavior and every system, every system ultimately, you know, every, that is why the West is falling apart mm. and the East is not. Because what you have still in the East, you have religion. You have religion in the East. And you know what religion has? It has a code. Cold. Religion has a code. What has happened in the West? Like you look at the West, what's wrong with America? What's wrong with Europe? Because there's no religion left. Mm. There's no religion left. We are talking about LGBTQ and the Supreme Court, the case is going on. India, the government is hitting his head against the wall and saying, this doesn't fit in with our system. Mm. They're saying, you change this, we have to change our entire personal law. Hindu marriage, Christian marriage, Muslim person. Our whole system is run on this. You're bringing something that is alien to our system. (laughs) But there, there is no religion. So you need to understand what is happening in the West is the end of religion. There's no religion there. 
That's not religion. And who are fighting against it are the ones who believe in actual Christianity. So that is what happens. Okay, that is this is what happens when you don't have religion. Then you have another question on ethics. Yes. Okay, when you don't have religion, what happens? Then you start changing the code. Okay, when you have religion, in every religion, if you have noticed, every religion, marriage was between a man and a woman. Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, Jainism, Hinduism, Islam, every religion. Where did LGBT same-sex marriage come from? It just arise from any of this. It came from the West where religion has ceased. So that code has been taken. We don't believe in it. Don't believe in it. There is no canon. All this liberals come with this argument. There is no canon. Canon means the law. There is no law. So as we evolve as human beings, we have to reconsider the laws. So even about the constitution, they will say constitution is not a final book. We have to, as we are progressive, that's why they are called progressives. You understand these labels, they are progressive, but they actually they are regressives. But they call themselves progressives. Okay, so they won't call the right to abortion as uh, abortion. They will call it as pro-choice. See, when they, they use these words, you have to understand words have power, it has meaning. You know, so if you were to say we have the right to abort our babies, it look terrible, right? When they say pro-choice, what are they actually saying? They are saying, in other words, if you wanna, you have when abortion is codified into the law, you know what it is? The right to kill. Right to kill. What does God say in the canon? Thou, Thou shalt shall not murder. kill. Okay, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill. And here they come and turn it around and says, thou shalt kill. Thou shalt kill. Okay, thou shalt kill. And just to show you, okay, go to the book of Genesis to see how God deals with these things in the old covenant. Okay. You come to Genesis chapter 30. Because I just want to show you that one. 30, nah, 38. Hmm? Go to verse 6 onwards. Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. Lord killed him. Okay, verse 8. And Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother's first an old covenant, an old law. Law, that is if the eldest son brother dies and this dies without a child, his line has to continue until the second brother marries the elder brother's widow and the first child that is born is named after the earlier ones. That is his line. The second onwards is your line. Because God's whole idea is that you should have dissonance. Your line should never end. And it's counted through the man. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he emitted on the ground lest he should give an heir to his brother. Mm. See, this is not even abortion. Mm. This is not even abortion. 
Okay, abortion is killing the child after the child is conceived. This is even before that. I don't even want her to conceive. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord. Therefore, he killed him also. <laughs> did you see that? So you have to see from God's perspective how he looks at life. He says, you know what? Your brother is dead. Now I said, take his wife, have a child, let the child have his dead brother's name. Because this is why the blood, the Bible says the blood of Abel cries out. Why are you saying the blood is life? That is a voice is saying that I have died without a dissonance. I have been cut off from the land of the living. There is no son to carry my name. That's why this whole attack against patriarchy and all that is, there is no matriarchy in the Bible. It's the father, from the father to the son, the line goes. It's not through the daughter. The daughter marries and goes to another home and the line continues through that man. So patriarchy is still there. God has a son. God does not have it. God sent his only begotten daughter. No, only begotten son. <laughs> okay, that's how it's God is not denigrating woman, but that is his order. Later in, when you come to eternity, they are heirs, equal heirs. But this is the order in which he has established stuff. Man was created first and then the woman. Woman was created out of man, not the other way. So we have to. So if you look at what God is saying over here, and you will see, and this is what, look at the third thing, <coughs> thing which is, therefore he killed him also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain as a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah. That is what leads to that episode with Tamar and uh, Judah. Judah. But she is so zealous to continue that line that, and she did it by faith. So Jesus will include Tamar into his line. His line. So we need to understand. If you don't have these codes, if you don't have these codes, how do we function? So this is, you need, you need to have laws. Then has the, the nation's progress and as we move in time, laws are, laws are getting codified. You have the Mosaic law, which is the actual first written codified law from which all our laws have come. Constitutions were framed by the basic, what is the most uh, influential document almost like today we talk about liberty, freedom, freedom movement, all these things comes from the Mosaic law and the gospel. Because it's the gospel that changed everything that man was called to be free. So that's how the law works. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I think you should continue the next question is, what is Christian ethics therefore? Okay. Third question is, what is Christian ethics? Now, ethics is different from the law. Mm. Okay. I heard a very good example about ethics uh, and morals. Morals and ethics. Okay. Pastor Vijay drives a car. Okay. He drives a car. He knows driving and he's happy. He drives and then the, the vehicle drops, uh, stops. Now, he doesn't know what to do. Sajid drives the same car. The car stops. Sajid opens the bonnet, fiddles here and there, starts it and goes. Both are driving. Okay? So driving the car is like morals. Ethics is a reason why you drive. Mm -hmm. The reasoning behind it. Mm. 
man is an ethical creature because he's made in the image of god mm. animals are not animals don't have yeah. ethics okay you teach right from the beginning the baby the two words the baby always hears is the the most common word a baby the child the toddler here is don't don't eat from that tree okay. once the child has heard the word don't it cannot do it without its conscience being pricked okay now you need to realize a cat will come and steal your milk or food and will never apologize <laughs> <laughs> never apologize it does not f- have a remorse of the fact that it entered into your house and stole your milk because it does not work on morals or ethics there's no reasoning there there is no reasoning here ethics is a different school school altogether there are a lot of things that go into ethics of course one of the most powerful things that go into ethics is religion is religion and there, there is culture the society which you live in okay religion religion can frame ethics okay now let me tell you like there is a religion there is a religion which tells which teaches you like let us say i am of one religion particular religion pastor vijay is of another religion now he is stronger than me i am weaker than him so my religion teaches me that when you are facing an adversary who is stronger than you it is okay to lie, lie. to him hmm. but when you are stronger than him you can finish him off hmm. so the religion frames his ethics yeah frames his ethics okay ethics is basically what will determine how we function as, as a society society yes. ethics Okay. So Christianity the influence of Christianity for hundreds of years over a period of time in the west was it framed a very powerful sense of ethics mm-hmm. of what is right and wrong. That is why over everything they bring ethics it is not right it is not wrong and right there is a there is a thing called plagiarism which is actually in the west it's not mm-hmm. there in the in the east Indeed. even if you find some idea from some guy you have to Yeah. Say otherwise yeah it's no, like all tantamount to stealing it's all it's all comes from yeah, see, the, the western the, ethics, yeah, ethics yeah. is it's framed by that's what we are talking about we hear always no the america we keep hearing no judeo christian heritage right. that no that that created a whole set of ethics whole set of ethics we in our nation we do not have it mm. i will tell you no you see until for a long time even now in the actual system corruption is not easy why did the bbc chairman resign yesterday he resigned yesterday because of one little thing he did with the earlier president and uh, prime minister of uk boris uh, johnson mm-hmm. over that he resigned because it's very 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 strong because the, the the foundation is very very strong even though they say that we have moved into post christian society the christians ethos okay ethics comes from the word greek word ethos which means character mm-hmm. 
okay character ethos is your okay? so your ethics is basically what makes your ethos mm-hmm. or your character okay now let me let me let me put it in term i'm not disparaging we're just talking about facts like in this country in which we live we're supposed to have around 120 or i don't know 1.2 crore gods so many gods are there you go down to the village down to each gully you will have a god mm. the problem is you can't get that god to do anything unless you bribe the god so the average indian's life begins in the morning by bribing his god mm. so when he goes and sits in his government office he expects a bribe and he has no remorse about it at all because that is his situational ethics in which he has grown mm. if i have to bribe my god then you have to bribe me So you see bribery you see when all this economic collapses happen in the previous centuries or previous years and all in many many countries it rarely affected india because the parallel black market that operates in india is bigger than the other market that is why the greatest assault on india's economy was demonetization because the money vanished black market thrives in india why does it thrive in india Gosh. because it's got to do with your ethics and nobody feels you know the pune if you go to government the pune wants 20 rupees um old days he wants 20 rupees if he has to take your paper in the clerk wants 50 rupees the so wants 100 rupees the manager wants it goes on the whole chain so by that that's what they did a study right when government of india spends 100 rupees only 2 rupees reaches the common man what happened to 98 where did it disappear <laughs> it disappeared down the line because you have to see what is the karnataka election all about 40% 40% this is very open you have to pay 40% to the commission. government commission to the government to get anything done why is people not even bothered about this? i mean if it is true and that means the government that is in power should be voted out it should be a landslide it's still, not going to happen it's still struggling mm-hmm. it's not going to happen you know why because the culture in which we grew our ethics in which grew is bribery it's bribery and then when others come to india foreigners come to india after some time they realize you can't get anything done in this in this country you have to bribe so they will talk about buffers scandal and this scandal come on why did buffers scandals come because buffers can't do anything here unless you bribe them every company that comes here suddenly we will act up like we are such great people on the on the honest the fact is that why is that if buffers were to sell the same guns in another first world country there is no corruption why is that when they sell it in a third world country there is corruption because here nothing will happen without bribery and we are okay with it why that's our ethics our reasoning <laughs> because this is the way his his reasoning is that to get something out of this god I have to give him so if you want to get something out of me you have to give me after all i'm doing you a favor see you cannot have morals without ethics a lot of people have morals but it won't stand it won't stand you can have morals if you don't have morals without ethics ethics is the reasoning part why do i do things this way lot like the children no the children will say like the children don't have ethics you can only teach the morals don't do this because they're not going to understand why you shouldn't do this 
why you shouldn't do this. They won't understand now. Okay? Don't lie, don't steal, and they will say, what? Like, you know, daddy goes out, mommy goes out, there's chocolate in the fridge. If I steal it, it's very tasty. Hmm. So they don't, there is no reasoning. The only reason they understand is if I find you, see that stick over there, you will get an experience for your life. That is the only reasoning they understand. That is why the Bible says discipline a child. It's because you cannot have ethics for a child because the child is not come to that point of reasoning. Mm -hmm. Later, the Bible says, stop disciplining. You have to be very careful. Don't exasperate your children because it will work contrary. Now it's a time of reasoning where you have to sit them and say, this is what will happen. This is what will happen. I still remember my dad telling me when I started growing up, I think I was in class five and... Certainly by six, I think he stopped spanking me. He didn't spank me, he thrashed me before that. Spanking was a very mild word. But there was a point when he stopped and one day he was telling me a story. He was telling me a story about a father, a mother and a child. He says the child was into all kind of things. And every time the father tried to discipline the child, the mother came in between. So he couldn't discipline the child. The mother came in between. Mother came between. And then the child grew up. And he went into crime. And finally he went into murder. And when he is being sentenced to be hanged to death, the father and mother are in the court. And uh, the father looks at him. The mother starts crying. The son stands in the dock and tells the mother, you don't cry. You are the reason I am going to be hanged. Because you did not allow my father to discipline me. Bah, yeah, so what was my father trying to do? Now he's not teaching me morals. Mm, he's teaching me ethics. reasoning. Yeah, reasoning. This is where you will end. What is so, you will reap. There will be a harvest later. So just change the way. So you need to understand there is morals and there is ethics. Ethics gives you reasoning. And Christian ethics is different from mm, other ethics. Biblical. Though it may look similar, the power of Christian ethics is more than scripture because all the others will quote scripture. They will say our scripture is as valid as your scripture. Christian ethics is Jesus. Mm. It is Jesus. The life of Christ. That is what the sermon on the mount. You have heard so. That is there in every religion. You have heard so a code, but I tell you. You have heard so, but I tell you. So, Christian ethics is governed by the person of God. It is not governed by religion. It is not governed by society because you may have so many things common. But even when that's why, even when the society changes... Even when the society changes, God does not change. God does not. That's what the Bible says. So God does not change. And then there is a very, very red area. We should not go, but we will be forced to go at certain points in time, which is called situational ethics. Situational ethics. And that's that's an area you have some more, some more. Though you will be forced to deal with it. Let us say. You are, a, like I said, no, mm. Richard Wimbrand. Mm. is a pastor of an underground church or a pastor of a church in Hungary. Communists are ruling. 
So they come and say, give us the names of all your parish members. And he gives the names of all the ones who are dead and buried. Hmm. Now, should you be honest to the government? Is honesty part of morals? Honesty part of the morals. But the person who's coming to you, he's, he's, he wants your honesty to do harm to you. Hmm. Harm to you. To harm to you. Okay, that is where, that's how you have to picture the story in Joshua chapter 2 of Rahab. It's a question of situational ethics. Mm-hmm. The kings, king of Jericho sent soldiers to say, two men came here, they came to survey of the, where are they? Where are they? Now that's your king. You are a subject. Situational ethics is different. Ethics is different. Ethics would say, moral say, oh my lord, they are here, have have, they are on the roof, finished. You are dead. Your family is dead forever. But Joshua is going to come in with or without this spice. He will come in. Okay. But now she knows your God is God. We know that your God is Our gods are not gods. Your God is God. You too have come here as witnesses of that God. She took them, hides them, and then tells them, yeah, they were there, but they went, and they went in another route. Now, is she lying? Mm-hmm. So the situational ethics goes through scripture. So you have to be very careful about these things. Like mm-hmm. I said about Tamar, what do you say about Tamar? Mm-hmm. What do you say about Tamar? <laughs> yeah. So don't bring situational ethics into every situation. Then every situation will become situational mm-hmm. ethics. Then that becomes an escape hatch. But we have to be very, very careful about that. That is why we have the written code. We have the spirit of the person who wrote it. And then we have the person of Jesus Christ mm. who lived before us, showing us how to live out the word of God and through the spirit he showed us. So Christian ethics is basically the life of Jesus Christ. How did he live? And that is what we are all called to replicate in our own, our own ways. Wherever God has placed us, what are we called to do? Replicate Christ. What would Christ do as Dr. Richard? What would Christ do as Sammy? What would Christ do as John Ritchie? What would Christ do in our own homes, in our own life? What would Christ do? The simple question. For one, we need, first we need the word. Because in the beginning was the word. The word. Second, we need the spirit. Because when the word came, the spirit started moving. The spirit will not move unless there is the word. So I need the word. I need the spirit. And then we have a person who lived before us. Jesus who became flesh. Because if I only have the word and I only have the spirit, I still do not have a paradigm. Mm. I don't have a paradigm. What is my paradigm? The word became flesh. How? Through the spirit. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have behold the glory of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. That's how we are called to look. So Christian ethics has very powerful reasoning. So we have to, we Christian ethics is a reasoning behind our behavior. Why do you, why do you do what you do? There is morals. It's our life. And there is ethics. That's our reasoning. Why do you do what I do? And, uh, we should be able to explain. Mm-hmm. Be able to explain. Why mm-hmm. do I do? Because the world will not understand it. We will not understand it. The world will say, I mean, 
you guys are crazy because the world cannot understand uh, faith the world cannot understand faith because the person and the power behind faith i'll show you is the spirit of god go to john chapter 14 what jesus says verse 17 uh, film 14 15 and 7 15 to 17 If you love me keep my commandments okay go father 16 17 actually i will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever okay he says just like me see when he was with them this is the end of his life three and a half years he told them go there do this do this and final day you no know, go there there's a young one of a donkey over there untied if anybody asks you tell them the master needs it so he was the person who guided their behavior mm. so if anybody why are you doing it i will say jesus told us jesus told us jesus told us jesus told us and you know now he says i'm leaving okay he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever who is he he is the spirit of truth one the world cannot receive the world cannot re- the world can receive truth the world cannot receive the spirit of truth they cannot receive the spirit of truth because when the spirit of truth comes truth becomes living everybody likes truth as an idea but nobody wants to live it out because it costs it's very pricey very pricey so the world will want we want to know the truth we want to know the truth you remember that uh, old movie what are you that you can't handle the truth is that uh, yeah, yeah. you cannot handle the truth few good men few good men mm-hmm. you cannot handle the truth okay the whole question is we cannot handle the truth mm-hmm. so truth also as the spirit of god reveals the truth it is progressive because we can't handle the whole truth we will collapse under the weight of the truth of we realize who we are and where we are going if god had an intervene what would happen we can't handle it that's why god doesn't reveal everything he says the world cannot receive why because it neither sees him nor knows him so there is a person that's a person so without that person i actually do not know the truth i do not know the truth so there is the truth has an idea set of precepts and then there is this person that makes it living and practical but you know him for he dwells with you and we will be in you that's where our christian ethics are different mm-hmm. christian ethics are not just see more people have been killed by the people who held this book without the spirit wow. Okay, the first murder took over sacrifice. Hmm. Okay, the first murder. Okay, people who held this book without the spirit have killed millions upon millions. What sanctioned their killing? The book. Hmm. They sanctioned their killing with the book, but the spirit <coughs> is a spirit of life. He's not the spirit of murder. He's a spirit of life. So when it comes to Christian. <coughs> takes our reasoning our reasoning you know has to come from the spirit of god who will show us from the word what is the actual truth you know the holy spirit is the arbiter he is the arbiter you know as the jesus himself teaches us so he is the first born among many so he will show us what it is and how it is to live by the spirit 
and he still does it. He still does it. And that's the way we go. So our ethics, Christian ethics, is not the same. But ethics, the simple form, there is morals and there is ethics. The ethics is the reasoning. You just can't have morals. Because morals alone, you will collapse. Mm. You need to have a reasoning behind it. Why do you do what you do? Why is that you don't do what you don't do? And religion will not hold. After some time, religion will lose its power. Because in religion, there is no person. Mm. So Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a personal relationship with the living God through his spirit. Through his spirit. That is the person that gives you power. That gives you power. So our ethics, Christian ethics, our reasoning is framed by one, by what God has said, and then what God keeps saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But first we need this framework. And then the framer tells us, what does it mean? Yes, Pastor Vijay. Amen. So again, I think uh, the similar question, similar lines. Uh, this is question number one. Uh, talking about marriages, how, how do you apply this? In Genesis, we could see so many consanguineous marriages. For example, Sarah is Abraham's half-sister. I question why hasn't God said anything about it to them? Why don't we see God intervening? First, I want to appreciate this. It's a, it's a question, I think, from Bhutan, one of the kids who was listening online and found they, we, they could ask a question. First, I, first, I appreciate you, kid, for using that word. Consensuous. <laughs> Consensuous. Okay, mm. people don't uh, very rarely know what that means. Okay, I mean, I was impressed. Mm. Pretty good. You're pretty good. You used a meaning which basically meaning marriage between close relatives. Family. Okay, within the family. In Genesis, we could see so many such marriages, for example, Sarah. But that's not where it begins. It begins right in the beginning. You see, God is, see, when God creates, when God creates, he creates only one man. And then from that man, he takes a woman. So Eve is a part of Adam. And then Adam and Eve have children. Only three children's name have been made named. One is Cain, Abel, and Seth. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 5, it talks about... Verse 4, 5, 4. After he begot said, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So Abraham had, uh, sorry, Adam had lots of children, sons and daughters. So when you have sons and daughters and there is nobody else, who do they marry? Who do they marry? Okay, so that is how it began. So I, I personally see it this way. First you have see the sons marrying the daughters, so the brothers marrying the daughters. And then you come down a further down, you have the Cousins marrying cousins. Then if further you go down the line, God starts separating. Separate. Okay, so if you see the law being given, when the Levitical law is given, that those marriages are forbidden. But it starts that Mm -hmm. way, essentially, and then it goes. So I believe for a, for a time, 
God, uh, God allowed it and he protects them, allows it and protects them. And after that, when the law is given, the protection is removed. And when the protection is removed, when close family members get married, there are lots of medical issues. Mm. Lot of children, right? Am I right? Yes. Yeah. Lot of medical. And that happens if you have, if you have noticed one of the communities in which it very constantly happens is with the Muslim communities because they marry close relatives. And they have lots of issues with their children, lots of different kinds of uh, diseases the children genetic. have. Genetic diseases mm. the children have because God had forbidden it not to marry. So, see, when God sees, when God, uh, God says, don't do it, don't do it, once it, there is an inbuilt penalty also that comes in. If you break it, yes. Okay, I'll show you. Go to Romans chapter 1. <laughs> okay, Romans chapter 1. Verse 20, uh, words, uh, 26 and 27. Got it? This is about homosexuality, LGBTQ agenda. Okay. <laughs> For this reason, God gave them up. He gave them up. Okay, you need to realize if you are a practicing homosexual and you are justifying your behavior, not struggling with it and crying out to God for God to mercy, but if you are justifying it, you have been given over by God up to wild passions. For even the women exchange the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and Receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So when God said, don't do it, it was built in a penalty. The penalty was there. And I'm telling you, there are certain diseases which are absolutely widespread among the homosexual society. Government keeps quiet about it. They won't talk. You can't even talk about it because, because agenda. Protect them. they have an agenda. Mm. They have an agenda behind it, which normal heterosexual couples don't have. They have. They have. And it is spread by them. It is spread by them. Okay. So there is a penalty put in over there. It's a penalty put in over there. So you will realize when God says, when God says something, don't. He says, don't. You need to realize there will be a built-in penalty put in over there. But of course, when you come to Christ, when you repent and turn, because he took the penalty, there's always forgiveness mercy, healing, restoration, all that in Christ Jesus. We are not condemning. We are saying it is wrong. It's not our job to condemn. It is wrong. There's a penalty over there. You want to escape, cry out to Christ Jesus. He will forgive you and he will also bring you out. And if you come to Christ, maybe in this life, the physical consequences may continue. You may die early of a disease, whatever it is, but eternally you are secure. So he's not a condemning God. So when the Bible says God so loved the world and sent his son, we don't realize what he sent his son for. Every kind of human being. He loves the L, the G, the B, the Q. He loves them all. Hmm. But he loves them to save them from their sin. Not to save them in, in their, their sin. sin. <laughs> not in their sin. He will save us from our sin. Yes, Pastor Vidya, that was the question, yeah, right? Yeah, we'll look at one more question, Pastor. Mm. Question number 7 and you can stop. Yeah. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 12, the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. 
There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is this applicable to the Jews alone or does this include the church? The scariest line is the children of the kingdom. Yeah, of course it applies to the church too. Because we are the, we are the children. We are the mm. children. We are all part of the children. So what applied to them then, because they rejected, applies to the church now. Mm. Eight, twelve, right? Mm. Okay. Now, if you need the context in which what he is talking about, he's talking in the context of the century and the faith of the century. Okay, this is his say. Look, we'll read from verse ten. Okay, ten. Then only we will understand. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, "Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel." And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness and they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm. Which is true. Mm. For the church it is true. What is true for the Israelites, Jewish, it's true. Because they rejected Christ, the Gentiles accepted it. Now the west is rejecting Christ, but you see the church is growing powerfully mm. in the in the east. east and in africa primarily in africa you see all the anglicans and the episcopal while they are going with the entire lgbtq crowd african. the african nations are, are refusing. refusing the nations are changing Kenya. their laws and they are telling uh, the western governments don't interfere in with us your this thing doesn't work in our society no, it is society. And you know what? China is feeding into it. Because the only clout the West had was aid. Was aid. Okay, one of the countries, which country was it? I forgot recently, one of the countries which owed uh, 20 billion. Russia wrote off their debt. Because these people are waiting to get in. See, the problem is, the, all these countries were under the influence of the Western nations, which was not bad per se. Because also there was... Christian ethics and Christian all that. Now when the post-Christian era has come in and they're trying to push this LGBTQ agenda has human rights and tying up with aid, aid. the African nations is being sworn by the Chinese who doesn't bring any of these things on the table. On the table. So you will realize all the nations are moving towards that. Saudi Arabia is moving towards China. UAE yeah. is the latest thing that they were building a secret facility for the Chinese in UAE. They're all moving. It all is happening in two years' time. Because the whole White House seems to be only on one gen. The only thing they seems to be about, about equity, 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 equity. LGBTQ is their agenda. But you need to realize there is a push back from the East and the African nations. Especially African nations, where Christianity, um, the below the equator, below that, not the oh, sub-Saharan, yeah. northern, where it is Muslim, but it's exponentially growing, very powerfully growing. And they're standing against all these things. They said, no, we will not allow it. So what will happen? That's why Jesus said the first will become the last. You will see in the last days there is going to be a massive revival that will harvest that will take place in what was called the third world. They will come through. There is a powerful movement that is taking place in these places. And the West is going into degrading literally. Literally, like in their inner core, that moral core that held them up all these centuries, which made the West the first world, is literally falling apart. 
they're looking into an abyss now. You know? So the only hope for the West is to return back to those values, which is very difficult when you have an entire system opposing the, the believing church. So the churches are splitting. And because what is happening is these big Presbyterian and Anglican and all have sided with the LGBTQ. They are holding the buildings. But the buildings are empty. The people have left. The people have left and gone to other churches. So they will. They have the money. They have that is Laodicea. You say I am rich. I have need for nothing. But if you look inside, there are no people. Very few people. People all have left. They refuse to be part of it. The believing ones all have left. So it's it's it is if it's it's right before our eyes if we search and we study what is happening in the West is that the churches there's a split that is taking place. A spiritual line. That is God is drawing, and people have to meet. People, you cannot sit on the fence anymore, like the people during Elijah's time. God says, "Make up your mind. Which way are you going? Which way are you going?" Okay, so you have the systems now. Hmm, March the tenth, no, May the tenth. Charles is going to be crowned as King Charles III. Who's 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 crowning him? Who is who going to be the vicar of the whole thing? Selby the Archbishop of uh, Canterbury, right? Westminster. He's going to be. And who is he? He's pro-gay. He's for same-sex union. And most of the African churches want to split it from him, want to get out of, of that sea. But think about it. Once upon a time, Britain, the British Empire, was the world's largest empire. And he is the king of the commonwealth. He's going to be in billions are going to watch the whole pageantry. He's going to be officially be anointed and crowned by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Canterbury fam, right? No, Westminster, one of them. Selby. Who is he? Pro-gay. For same-sex unions, gay clergy and all. What, where to where has this come? Because you need to understand the myth behind the British monarchy. The myth behind the British monarchy is that when there was a breakdown of Israel and Judah and all and the Babylonians, this thing, the story myth behind is that from that day were declined, the babies, the daughters were rescued and smuggled into Europe and the British line is the Davidic line. That is a myth. That is why that throne is so important that the, the kings and the queens of British monarchy comes from the line of David. Line from the David. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a myth. It's a legend. We don't know. It's a legend. It's a legend. We do not know whether it's true or not, mm -hmm. but where have they reached today? So you need to understand there is a break that is taking place. See, media is not going to report it. Media is controlled by a few people, but we have to understand that is not the real news. The real news is spiritual. Something is happening in the world. Lines are being drawn. People don't get blinded. Things are happening through spiritually everywhere God is drawing a line. And the day of reckoning has come. Choose this day whom you will serve. Baal has his own his ethics. Yahweh has his own ethics. Baal has his own reasonings. God has his own reasonings. And every man knowingly or unknowingly is taking their stance, their position. Every, nobody is neutral now. 
Understand, nobody is neutral now. Consciously or unconsciously, everyone is taking. And that that churning is taking place. That's Every why you day. have to be very, very clear. Every step you take is either towards God or further. Because those are righteous will be righteous. We are coming to the end of time as we have seen it. And all around the world you will see like chess pieces, people moving, dispensations moving, everything has become interconnected, but they are making their moves. So these things matter. So the church applies to the church also. Who were we? The church. We were the sons of the kingdom. Because it moved from the, the Jews rejected Christ, we received Christ, so the church and Christ. And what has happened now? Those who preach to us, they have moved away. They have moved away from the faith completely. They completely moved away from the faith. So originally, if you look at it, the European nations, US, they were the custodians of the faith who contended for the America was colonized primarily for faith. Okay, they were the children of the kingdom. Okay, and we in Asia, we, those brothers in Africa, they came, they evangelized, they made us into converts. We were the last. But today, it's become the other side. They were the children of the kingdom. And they will be cast out into outer darkness and they shall be weeping. So when you see African bishops and African men and women and leaders standing up and taking a stand at the cost of economic poverty, they say we will not allow economics to come into this. This is what we believe. This is what we as a nation believe. You know what is happening? What is God saying? He looks at these African nations and Asians who are, who don't have that prosperity or the power of the West, he says, I have not seen faith like this in Israel. Because I said, you cannot look at 8.12, you have to look at the whole context, you have to read from 8.10 onwards, then you will understand what he's talking about, because it's a Roman centurion, Roman centurion, talking, telling me, I'm a man under authority. And when I tell a soldier, go, he goes. And I tell him, come, come. So I understand. And these people are also understanding. West Eastern nations are understanding. The Christians are understanding. We are people under, under authority. And he said, this is wrong and this is right. And we are not going to budge from those positions based on Western powers and their agendas. Liberal, progressive, whatever they call them. We are not going to budge. And personally, we all have to. We all have to ask ourselves, what is moving me? On what am I basing my decisions? Mm. What am I moving my decisions? Everything, like when famine came into Israel, into Canaan, Isaac was moving. And God stopped him. He said, don't move. These are all things which they use. We all become what what we call economic migrants. What is causing you to move? Are we economic migrants? Are we intellectual migrants? All these things. What are we moving? Who is being moved by God is the question. Mm. Who is moved by faith? What is moving you? What is moving you? Because your movement matters. Your movement matters. But that is... You, you, each one personally has to hear from God. From outside, we can only give you counsel how to hear. Basic guidelines. But each one 
Because to everyone the spirit is given. He is the arbiter of your movement. It is the Lord who told Isaac, don't move. It is the Lord who told Isaac, so in the land. It was the Lord who then honored his faith and prospered him. Okay. It was the Lord who made his enemies to come and make peace with him because he's, he's acting on faith. So everyone personally has to hear because otherwise what will happen? They'll be cast out into outer dark. I'm not saying those who are saved will lose their salvation, but they will have great shame in the kingdom of God and loss, tremendous loss in the kingdom of God. Because they did not listen. That is why I said you have morals and you have ethics. You have to have your reasoning. Your reasoning is Christ. Now there's a book by a Anglican preacher. Think of it, and who was baptized in the Holy Spirit and then had to come out. I think. I think is if it's right. I'm trying to think long ago. The title of his book is "The Spirit Bade Me Go." Mm. The Spirit bade, bade me, me go. go. Okay, I forgot his name. I think I have the book in my library upstairs. No, library upstairs. I think you can stop it here, Pastor. Okay, so who told you to go? <laughs> who told you to go? Okay, you can't, you can't, we can't escape this reality now. We have the Spirit of God. We have a person living in us. David Duplessy. Oh, that is David Duplessis, the beginning, the beginning, the, the, the person uh, who started the ages and the Pentecostal movement. Mm. It was not that. There's another one. Yeah, that book I remember that also. He I was have. called Mr. Pentecost. Mr. Pentecost. Oh, yes, yeah, he was called Mr. Mr. Pentecost. Duplessis. The whole move, modern movement of the ages church and Pentecostal movement is one of the big influences behind it. You know, so yes, we'll stop there. Praise God. Yep. Yes. Pastor Vijay, yes. close in prayer. Yes. Just, just wanted to look at the book. Mm. Praise God. Father, we just want to thank you once again for this day. Spoke to our hearts so many things once again, oh Lord. We just want to thank you for every opportunity that you give to be able to come and sit at your feet and listen to your word. Your word says, Lord, to Mary, you commended her and said, one thing is needful, Martha, Martha. One thing is needful and Mary has chosen the right thing. And it will not be taken away from her. And thank you, Lord, for every opportunity that we give, that you give to us to listen to your word, to, uh, Lord, uh, hear from your spirit. Lord, even as we listen and hear, I pray, Lord, our faith will become stronger. Our convictions will become stronger. The reason for our faith will become even more stronger, Lord, that we will be able to give a reason for the hope that which is with, that is within us, O Lord, with reverence and fear. Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Once again, Lord, we commit all of us into your hands. Lord, even as we have come to the end of the day and the end of the month, Lord, I pray, Father, Lord, uh, one-fourth of the year is over, Lord, 25%, Lord. I pray, Father, that one-third, uh, one Lord, you. I pray, Lord, you would, Lord, uh, quicken us, O Lord Jesus, that we will uh, not slacken, O Lord, that we will become even more clear as to what you want us to do in these last days, O Lord. And we'll be, uh, and Lord, we will be able to prove that which is good, acceptable and perfect will of God in our lives, O Lord. Thank you once again for this time. We commit all of us into your hands. Uh, watch over us, O Lord, through this night, O Lord. And even as you, we gather tomorrow, Lord Jesus, in your house, Lord, I pray, Father, that Lord, you would prepare us through the night and Lord, that you would find us, we will all, you would find us all on time in your church. And I pray, Father, that we will prepare ourselves continuously for your coming. We thank you, we praise you, we give you glory, for in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.
and trembling, you make it come.